It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are seconds away from hearing the daily Locked On podcast you love, but I'd like to tell you about another podcast I think you'll like. Rejecting the Screen, hosted by NBA experts Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko, features provocative interviews with NBA stars and unique perspectives from around the game. Subscribe to Rejecting the Screen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Locked On Warriors, your daily podcast on all things Warriors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Wes Goldberg, Warriors writer for the Mercury News, and I'm joined by one of my most trusted salary cap experts, Jeff Siegel, founder of EarlyBirdRights.com, and someone I go to anytime I have a salary cap-related question. Jeff, thanks for joining me. Um, I know we've been uh, we've been talking a little bit back and forth this morning on on Twitter about some of the impacts that the uh, the loss in basketball revenue could have on the salary cap. I know you had some thoughts on you know maybe some some potential estimates. What, what do you what do you think that the league is considering, and, and how do you kind of see this playing out, if at all? I know that few people have have any answers to this, but uh, how can the basketball related income affect the salary cap next season? Well, everything with the salary cap is tied to basketball-related income. BRI is sort of the driver of the salary cap. They, that's how the uh, the calculation goes. And so, you know, if the if the BRI is going to if the projected BRI for next year is going to drop, then that that will bring with it a drop in the salary cap. But that's sort of the key thing that uh, a lot of people are talking about. But it's very sort of weird to, to wrap your head around if the 2019-20 total BRI drops, that doesn't necessarily mean next year's projected BRI drops. Like let's say the rest of this season is canceled and they lose out on, you know, billions of dollars in revenue. Well, that doesn't mean that next year is going to also have that same thing because, you know, presumably that would mean that all of next year will happen and therefore they will have a full complement of of revenue to to use to pay the players. So that would be a situation where the uh the salary cap for next year would not be affected because the projected revenue would would remain where they they thought it would going into next year. You know, obviously this thing, this pandemic, if it lasts into the fall and and all of a sudden next season is also impacted, that would would lower the the revenue for next season, which would lower the salary cap for whenever the season does start. You know, there's also the the idea that because in terms of projecting out the revenue, they know what's going to be like the national television deal. Like that's written in stone at like 2.4 billion or so for next season. The other projected revenue, you know, for gate revenue, for local TV revenue, all of that is sort of usually it's done as like a percentage of last year. So they, they'll raise it by 105% or something like that. That wouldn't happen this time around because the 1920 revenue is so impacted by this pandemic that that doesn't make sense for them. So they're going to come together with the the players association and just sort of come to a, a general agreement on what the the projected revenue is going to be. And then where, you know, and then that number will set the salary cap and the luxury tax thresholds. So when I read things that say the basketball related revenue of this season, and when, you know, guys like Bob Myers come out and tell us like, you know, this is going to impact next season. Um, as far as salary cap goes, then what are we what are we looking at specifically this season that will impact next season's salary cap? Is that something where the loss of 
game day revenue this year is just sort of taken out of of next year's uh, BRI and therefore affects the salary cap. I, I guess I'm just um, how how would this year impact next year's? The way this year impacts next year is with the escrow stuff, and that's where 10% of every paycheck to, that goes to a player is taken out for escrow purposes, and that is sort of it's held in escrow so that if the BRI comes in short or comes in too much, then the the it keeps the the players getting their 51% and the teams getting their 49%. So that's the sort of buffer zone that they have built in. If the revenue drops so far that that escrow no longer can pay out the teams enough so that they get their 49% of BRI, then they would have to either take more out from everybody's paycheck next year in the escrow process. They would have to negotiate how that's going to work, and that would lower the salary cap significantly, I think, depending on exactly how much revenue the teams lose, how short they are. If they're down to you know, 42% of BRI because they basically overpaid the players based on this year's BRI, that would be a, a significant drop in enough that the, the escrow would not take over the, the remaining amount and therefore – they would have to sort of lower next year's salary cap to sort of get everybody back in line so that the teams are getting their 49% of, of total BRI. So when John Hollinger writes, uh, who writes for The Athletic and also does a show for Locked On, uh, that the salary cap could drop by $8 million next year, what is he factoring in specifically then? I think he's factoring in all of that. He's factoring in the okay. escrow uh, cost, the, the, the extra money that has basically been paid out to the players but will need to come back to the teams. And he's probably factoring in the fact that if this year's, uh, this year's revenue goes down so much, that will impact next year if they take the same formula that they use for previous seasons where they usually use the 2019-20 uh, revenue to project 2020-2021. I don't think necessarily that that would be the smart way to do it now that we've sort of learned a lot more about this pandemic over these last few weeks since John wrote that article. We know that this is bigger than a breadbasket. This is not a, you know, three week, you know, thing that is just mm. going to push the season back. This could cancel the entire season. You know, nobody really knows when this thing is going to end. I mean, if we lost the rest of this season and half of next season, like that would, you know, have a, have a massive impact on revenue and, and not necessarily, you can't take that off the table because we have no idea, you know, what, when the end of this thing is. And so, you know, I think that, you know, that, that article that was written, you know, I think pretty close to right after the, the NBA stopped playing in, in mid-March, I think that would need to be updated at this point to sort of take into account the fact that this pandemic might be bigger than we, we thought it was even when the, the NBA was canceled in mid-March. We'll be back with more on Locked On Warriors. From your early morning breakfast burrito to a 12-pack of beers while you're watching the game, sometimes you just need what you need delivered fast, and that's where Postmates comes in. If you're like me, you probably start thinking about what to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. I love food. That's why I love using Postmates. They deliver food from every restaurant that I could think of right to my door. But Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi, they actually make my life easier with grocery delivery and whatever I can think of delivery too. Convenience stores, clothing stores, you name it. So no more trips to the store, no more late night fast food runs, and I don't even have to worry about where to grab lunch anymore. Just download Postmates on iOS or Android and find your favorites and get anything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use 
the code Locked On NBA. That's code Locked On NBA for a hundred bucks of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. Is there anything more craveable than the smell of McDonald's fries? If someone's hiding an order of fries, they're never hiding it well. It takes one whiff to trigger a fry craving that will only be satisfied the McDonald's way. So stand up if you would like to taste the smell of a McDonald's fry right now. Did you just stand? Because if you did, then you earned yourself a trip to the McDonald's drive through for your own steamy carton of crispy golden goodness. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. My next few questions are more theoretical. Understand that there's no way to really know what the salary cap hit might be. And obviously there's like a lot of things at play here. But um, for somebody like Steph Curry, who signs that Supermax contract, 35% of the salary cap, of the Warriors' salary cap, how would this impact him? I mean, his salary would, I think he's set to make about $43 million next year. He That would, that would go down, right? He would lose money. Well... I mean, he could lose money technically, but that would take negotiation between the two sides for for everybody to lose money. He's not going to lose money directly because his 35% max was based on a a previous salary cap. It's not based on the 2020-2021 cap. So he's locked in at his numbers. And and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green are as well. Everybody on the Warriors, everybody who's currently under contract in the entire NBA, they're locked in. And, and so those contracts are already written with the numbers in there. Like that, those are kind of written in stone and in, in the way that okay. anything can be written in stone, really. You know, but there are there are possibilities that the, that they would lose some money based on the fact that uh, that the, the NBA and the NBPA could come together and say, you know, all players under contract take a five percent pay cut to help out with this escrow problem that we just talked about. That would be a way that that these guys would lose money. But as it currently stands, everybody who is currently under contract, other than the guys who just signed extensions like Ben Simmons, Jamal Murray and Pascal Siakam, those are the only guys in the league who stand to gain or lose who are currently under contract for this this upcoming uh, league season. And so then Steph, who who signed a contract that was worth the projected 35 percent of the cap, would actually be making, you know, if, if the salary cap does indeed drop. He would be making greater than thirty-five percent of the, of the right. salary cap. So that thirty-five percent max only applies to the first year of a contract. After okay. that, it's just whatever the contract says it is. So that when okay. he signed that thirty-five percent max, it was thirty-five percent of the first year of that contract, and then it goes up by eight percent of that number, regardless of where the salary cap goes. If the salary cap had dropped this year, you know, from you know one hundred one to ninety-nine, rather than going, you know, going to uh, to, to 109 like it did he would have gotten his money no matter what so i think that's that's the big thing to to note with curry that's the big thing to note with clay thompson who signed a 30 percent max last summer that his clay thompson's max salary was based on this year's 109.14 million salary cap whether that number goes up or goes down for next year his numbers are locked in and that's that sort of is what it is and it's the same for everybody who's under contract and so that would obviously apply to people who signed, you know, veteran minimum salaries, something like what Marquise Chris did and, and other players. But it would also impact the value of the minimum next year, right? I mean, we've this is only I think the second time that we have projected a decline in salary cap. So for the first time, the veteran minimum would also, or for, I, I guess, 
this is the this is the third time that there would be a, a decline in like the last 35 years or so. But that would also affect what um, the veteran minimum is, right? It would affect new veteran minimums. So right. anybody that they signed to a new contract in 2020, it would affect them because the salary cap and the minimums are tied together. But it would not affect guys like Marquise Chris, Damian Lee, any of the guys who are already under contract. Their numbers are already locked in. They're based on the previous year's minimum salary scale. So they're just they would just go on like they like they usually would. No matter what the salary cap does, they're locked in at those numbers. It's really just new veteran minimums. You know, if they were to, you know, if they were to sign Drog and Bender to a new contract during the offseason, not the rest of this season, but during the offseason, his number would change based on on where the cap comes in. So then um, as far as tools this summer, I know that they, they were projected to have the taxpayer mid-level exception, which is valued at around $6 million. That Would that change because of a, of a smaller salary cap? Yeah, the uh, the taxpayer mid-level, all of those over-the-cap exceptions, the non-taxpayer mid-level, the biannual, the room exception, and the taxpayer mid-level, which is the one the Warriors will have, all of those are tied to the salary cap directly. So as the cap goes up, those go up proportionally by the same percentage. If it comes down, they they go down. It's the it's the same. Uh, it, it, they rise and fall by the same percentage as as the salary cap does. So you know, right now that's that's slated at just just over six million for year one and a three year value of about nineteen million. The the taxpayer mid level is limited to just three years. It's not a four year contract. So you can go up to three years, up to nineteen million with that uh, that taxpayer mid level. But that's based on one hundred and fifteen million dollar salary cap. If it's 110 million, then that three-year total drops to about 18.2 million. If it drops even further, it's going to drop. You know, the 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 total value of the taxpayer mid-level is going to drop even further. Of course, the Warriors have, you know, would have that lower, you know, lower salary cap flexibility because of that taxpayer mid-level. But everybody would be dealing with the same thing, so it's not like they're the only ones who would lose out on that. Everybody, everybody's mid-level exception is going to drop based on the where the salary cap comes in. It would kind of be up to the players to, you know, sort of rejigger their own expectations of what they could get for that taxpayer. And they could they could technically just take a one year on the MLE and then just try to reenter free agency if and when the salary cap were to, you know, go back up, right? Yeah, that would be probably the way most agents would would advise their guys to do it. You know, even the guys from all the way down at the minimum level to all the way up at the the maximum level. You know, Anthony Davis probably would just take like a one plus one and try to get back out there in 2021. Mm. If the if the salary cap is projected to go down in 20 in 20 and then go back up in 21 to sort of make up for this difference, that would make sense for Anthony Davis. That would make sense for guys taking the taxpayer mid level. That would make sense for, you know, guys all the way down at the at the minimum. Just everything is going to if if this sort of transpires the way that, you know, John and, and a few other people have have said it might it'll go down in 20 and then back up to sort of normal in 21, 22, when the revenue sort of, you know, comes back to, to a relatively normal level, we could see a relatively large spike going from 20, from 2020 slash 21 to 2021 slash 22. That would behoove a lot of players to take a short-term contract and try to get back on the market in 21. We'll be back with more on Locked On Warriors. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Cisco. Modern modernization today has the products you need to modernize your workplace, like Wi-Fi booster crystals. Let their metaphysical powers enhance connectivity and spiritually awaken your Internet of Things. 
At CDW, we get crystals won't modernize your network. You need Cisco Catalyst access points that are Wi-Fi 6 compatible and can help you improve reliability, increase capacity, and reduce latency. Cisco and IT orchestration by CDW. People who get it. Find out more at cdw.com slash Cisco. Today, every answer matters more than ever before. Because whether it's about health, deliveries, or finance, some things just can't wait. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage millions of calls, texts, and chats with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to help your customers find the answers they need faster, no matter the industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash watsonassistant to learn more. How does this apply to Giannis? Well, because he... Because he has signed up through next season already, his his extension wouldn't start until 2021 anyway. So he could sign that Supermax extension this summer, but it wouldn't kick in until 2021, which is when the cap should level back out to being relatively normal. At this point, I don't expect that the that the 2021-22 salary cap will be impacted in any way by this. I think it would it, it should stay relatively normal. So he could sign that extension and still feel good about the the fact that he's going to get all of his money, the money that he sort of had expected that he was going to get, uh, you know, prior to all of this coming down. It also, you know, but if he becomes a free agent that year, more teams might have, you know, a little bit more room because the spending is going to be even less this summer, more one-year deals. So right. more teams are going to have some some room to operate. So he might have, you know, one or two more suitors, max level suitors who who can come in for him in 2021. Um, as far as the luxury tax goes, I don't know if you had a chance to look at where the Warriors are at uh, as far as their taxes, as, as things were projected already for next season. But how how is this going to impact like the the fact that they're gonna they're probably gonna have to pay the tax next year anyway? But I know that there's some exponential increases that come with a a steeper or the 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 more over the tax that you are, and ostensibly if the cap goes down, they'll be over the tax even more than they had projected. Yeah, I mean, I have them right now at twenty point seven two million over the tax for next year. That includes that, that includes the number one overall pick at ten point three million, which is based on the the number one pick would be based on the the salary cap being where it is. If the if that number if the salary cap comes down, then that number will come down. Obviously, if they're not number one, that would come down significantly as well. The the, the salary drops pretty precipitously for those top picks. You know, if they trade that pick for somebody else, then that also would certainly change where they are. But right now, with the number one pick, with everybody that they've got under contract, they, I've got them about twenty million over the uh, over the tax, which comes with about a fifty million dollar uh, uh, luxury tax bill. So that's another fifty million dollars in cash that the Warriors are going to have to pay out to the rest of the league. That's a ton of money, and that's based on a hundred thirty nine million dollar luxury tax threshold. That number will come down if the cap comes down, because while those two things aren't necessarily tied together in the same way minimums, uh, the rookie scale and the uh, over the cap exceptions are, though they're both tied to overall revenue. And so therefore, if the uh, if the cap comes down, then the tax will come down as well, which puts the, the Warriors even further over the tax, which means which generates an even larger tax bill for them. So, I mean, this could get very, very expensive for them and a few other teams who who project to be over the tax and, you know, certainly would, may impact their decision-making around that, that Andrea Gudala trade exception and some mm-hmm. of the other signings that they can make this summer. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the the trade exception there because on one hand, if you're the Warriors, you could say, all right, well, we don't want to spend this full $17 million 
trade exception because we don't want to be that much more of the luxury tax. So let's take the seven. Let's take uh, let's take ten million of the seventeen million. Let's let's sort of allocate ten million dollars of that and just and just kind of cap ourselves there, so to speak. The other way that they can go right is be like, well, now this tool that we already had that was already valuable becomes even more valuable because there may be other teams that are looking to shed salary. And they could do that by just sending their $17 million salary or whatever it might end up being to us for nothing back in return, right? So the, the Warriors can kind of go on, on – on, they can kind of play both sides of this, right? Yeah. I mean the, the big things to take, in, to take into consideration with that are sort of timing, the, the sign-and-trade element, and then, of course, their luxury tax bill and how much cash the, the Warriors owners are, are willing to pay out. If they're willing to, to spend – very, very heavily on next year's team, then they can use that entire trade exception to try to take somebody in. Like you said, they can be aggressive on the trade market, trying to find teams that are looking to get out of certain obligations to reduce their, you know, their luxury tax bills. You know, I think that would be a really smart way for them to handle it. But that also requires them to to want to spend that level of cash because, you know, it's going to be more expensive to them to take somebody in then they would be saving the other team because they're so far over mm. the tax and they're the only team that is that far over the tax for next season. So, it, I mean, it would take a, a big cash investment from their, from the owners in order to do this. You know, you, hopefully you would, you would want uh, you, you would, if, as a GM, you would want your owners to be willing to do that. But, you know, in this sort in these uncertain times with, from a revenue perspective, based on what the new agreement is going to be between the players and the owners, there's a whole lot of, of balls in the air with regards to the, the cash, the cash flow for these teams that maybe you know signing up for a seventy-five million dollar you know luxury tax bill is not necessarily what the uh, what the ownership you know what the ownership group is going to to want to do. They could cap themselves at ten million, like you said, play a, a little bit more defensively, sort of you know take it down a notch and and use it on somebody who is helpful but not necessarily you know at that seventeen million dollar level. They can they can do something uh, like that, which would lower their luxury tax bill, but still, you know, add to their team for next year. But I think, you know, the, the sort of from a bigger picture perspective, the, the, those three things that they need to do, we talked, just talked about the luxury tax bill. The timing of this whole thing is very important as well, because that, that traded player exception is set to expire on, um, on the 6th of July, 2020, whether if there's not a new agreement by then, that exception may just expire totally useless because they can't make trades between now and then with the league on hiatus. If they're still playing regular season games, they can't make that trade. If their regular season is over by then, they can trade with anybody whose regular season is also over, but then they, the teams that are in the playoffs cannot be, you know, you know, cannot make trades and therefore the Warriors can't use that, that exception to trade with them. I would expect that whatever agreement happens between the players association and the NBA that would include a, a more, some sort of pushing back of that, of the, the TPE deadlines. I think they would just do that across mm. the board to make sure that everybody has a chance to use these things and, and has a chance to use all of the assets that they have, you know, to, in the, you know, it, to their disposal to, you know, sort of help them create a, a better team. I would expect that just everything will get pushed back. If the start of free agency is pushed back from July 1st to September 1st, then you would push back the, the, the expiration of that TPE from July 6th to September 6th, say, just to make it so that everybody sort of the whole league goes on hiatus for two months. And then you just sort of move the entire calendar back two months, including all the expiration of contracts and uh, traded player exceptions. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. No, go ahead. 
the last thing with with sign in trades, you know, the, the Warriors, all Warriors fans, everybody who's following the, the Warriors should be very familiar with sign in trades by now. Mm-hmm. This is how they got D'Angelo Russell last summer. This is how they got Andre Iguodala in 2013. You saw what they had to do, the, the hoops they had to jump through to get Russell in that sign in trade because it hard caps them at the apron. Because they have this big trade exception, usually a big trade exception would be a way that you could sign and trade for a player making up to that amount. But because the Warriors are so far over the tax and will therefore be so far over the apron, that will not be a, a way that they can do that. They will have to sign and trade. They, they cannot sign and trade for a player. They would have to trade for a player who's already under contract. That's a lot of guys. It's about two over 200 guys by my count not including the guys who obviously are already under contract for them and can't be traded as free agents upcoming. But that's still over 200 guys who would fit the bill, who they can trade for, but they cannot do a sign-in trade because they've got such an outsized uh, salary obligation for next season. That's an important note because, like you said, we know that the Warriors love love their sign-in trades, right? But uh, uh, is there any uh, anything else, any, any other repercussions that I haven't thought of that I haven't asked you about yet? I mean, you're the expert. Is there something I missed? I mean, I think the big thing to hammer home for everybody is just that nothing is certain and everything is on the table. This is almost like they're negotiating an entirely new CBA, but there's also no precedent for this in the history of sports, basically. You know, the the history of collectively bargained sports in America has only really been like the last 50 years or so. And so the, the last massive pandemic level thing that really stopped sports on a nationwide level was basically World War II in the early 40s. And at that point, no no leagues were collectively bargained. So the leagues just had full control. They did whatever they wanted to do. If they decided to stop playing, they could just stop paying their players and be like, hey, World War II, what are you going to do about it? You know, and now you know, we've never seen anything like this before. Obviously, the NBA didn't even exist back then. Uh, the NBL was founded in 1937, but they were not collectively bargained, you know, for a long time after that. The MLB, you know, MLB was not collectively bargained until 1966. The NFL wasn't collectively bargained until 1956. So we've never gone through anything like this in collectively bargained sports history before. So everything is on the table. It's almost like they're negotiating an entirely new CBA but instead of having the precedent of the previous CBA to sort of work off of, they've got to come up with all sorts of solutions for all sorts of short-term and long-term problems. There's so much to be talked about and so much to be negotiated. That's why every idea is on the table. Everything that can possibly be thought of has to be discussed and negotiated. So it's really, I mean, obviously it's, it's unfortunate that this entire thing happened because of a pandemic, a global pandemic that's killing, you know, hundreds of thousands of people and maybe, you know, have, you know, larger repercussions than that. But in terms of just, you know, the, the, the cap nerds and the the CBA negotiation side of things, this is an opportunity for them to do drastic changes, even if it's just for this year and next year to sort of test those out, see how they do, and then move forward with the, the, uh, an entirely new CBA or just something that is an, an edit sort of to the current CBA. So, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing that I want to, to make sure is out there is that everything is on the table, anything is possible, and at this point, they've just got to hammer out all of these details. So just to wrap it up with this, I mean, a couple of things that stood out to me was the fact that if, if they just kind of go on numbers alone and and without any sort of renegotiation or smoothing out or anything like that, we could still see a pretty precipitative 
uh, drop in the salary cap next year, which would then be followed by a pretty major cap spike uh, the following year, which we we know that the league didn't like happened in the first place. I mean, that cap spike originally helped was what helped the Warriors sign Kevin Durant, right, a few years ago. I think the league would prefer to avoid a situation like that again, um, especially considering how big of an offseason that that's going to be in 2021. Uh, the other, and so kind of going back to the beginning of our conversation, there is a way, and kind of what you just said just now with a, a sort of a renegotiation of the CBA, uh, even if it's just a short-term thing, where they could potentially smooth out this the salary cap situation, regardless of the hit on basketball related income, they could figure out a way the 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 owners and the players association kind of figure out a way to maintain a pretty standard salary cap next year that would reduce any sort of drastic cap spike the following year. And did I did I follow you through all of that? Yeah, I think that's uh, that's exactly right. They could smooth the the hit in over these next few years if they wanted to. They would also need to to change the the, the league wide calendar to sort of smooth it in if they wanted to do that. There's a lot of things that they they could do if the the PA is sort of interested in doing those things. You would think for now that the PA you would hope that the PA sort of learned their lesson from the the way smoothing went in 2016 and the way that that affected the seasons after that, that they would be more interested in smoothing this time around. We don't know to, to publicly at least how exactly the, the owners wanted to do that smoothing last time that maybe they didn't want to, to make the players whole. And that's why the players rejected it. Hopefully both sides have sort of learned from the, the cap spike that that created and that hopefully that they would not want to do that in 2021. We'll see, you know, exactly how, you know, how that, you know, comes to be. We'll see whether the, the cap even needs to go down for next year. A lot of that has to do with whether they can finish out the rest of this year. If they can finish out all of the regular season and the playoffs for this year, then the revenue really won't shouldn't go down too much at all. And then they can mm-hmm. move into next year. Nice, you know, just as they had sort of planned. And they really just need to, to figure out the calendar more than the, the financial side of it. So there's a lot of things up in the air at this point when we know a little bit more about when they're going to restart games, if they're going to finish out the rest of the season, how much of next year is going to be impacted, all of that stuff, then we'll have a better idea of whether smoothing is going to be a decent idea, whether smoothing is going to even be necessary. But, you know, at this point, it's sort of it's almost impossible to, to know any of that stuff. Thanks to Jeff Siegel. You can find all of his work over at earlybirdrights.com, which is a great resource. You can also follow him on Twitter at JG Siegel. That wraps up this edition of Locked on Warriors. Remember, subscribe to new episodes of Locked on Warriors on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes, rate us, review us, say nice things about us. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked on NBA. Hey, Bay Area sports fans. This is Ben Kaspic, host of the Locked on Giants podcast, which should be the next Locked on podcast you fire up in your feed. The MLB offseason is closing in, and I'll have you covered every day, breaking down the rumors, speculation, and transactions that'll shape next year's Giants team. Subscribe to Locked on Giants right now on your favorite podcast provider. This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you're looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.